few words, if I may, about today's feast. This is a feast which does not appear normally in uh, uh, your missals or, or breveries. Uh, it's sort of a special feast um, celebrated only in certain dioceses and certain religious orders. And it's not even celebrated by most Benedictines, but it is celebrated in our particular form of Benedictine life uh, as Benedictines of the Most Blessed Sacrament, uh, because it's a Eucharistic feast in some ways. And how is it a Eucharistic feast? It's a very interesting question. When you look at the Gospel of the finding of child Jesus in the temple, in the midst of the doctors or the teachers, uh, there are mysteries contained in the Gospel. Uh, you know, the Gospel is written in a kind of code. You have to, to uh, uh, be familiar with Scripture and the way that Scripture works. Uh, Scripture is never about sort of, um, you know, reading the morning news, you know, what happened. Uh, journalists talk about who, what, when, where, why, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> scripture is that, yes, but every single word, every single syllable, every single letter of Scripture is significant. And it contains mysteries, okay? So there's always uh, an outer shell that people read. You can be an atheist and, and read the Gospels and say, okay, right, so this is happening, that's happening, right? So they lose Jesus, um, but I'm not sure how they did that. Uh, <laughs> you know, people say, how, how could they lose the Son of God, you know, on a trip? Okay, well, obviously such people aren't necessarily reading the inner meaning of Scripture and grasping the mysteries contained therein. So what does this episode uh, teach us? This episode of uh, the child Jesus, who goes up uh, with his parents and with his, uh, really his whole tribe, it would have been the whole, uh, probably the whole city of Nazareth would have gone kind of together. Uh, and there was kind of a caravan, there was, a, there was a, a whole group of people traveling. So they go up to Jerusalem for the feast, and on the way back, uh, uh, they sort of discover that Jesus, the child Jesus, is not in their company. This Jesus, who was, uh, whose birth was uh, announced by an angel, and <laughs> you know, um, so yes, there is a sense of how uh, could they have lost him? And of course, Our Lady, uh, when she uh, speaks to Our Lord after finding him, there's a kind of you can tell the panic, and and little bit of annoyance maybe too. You know, Our Lady is immaculate. She's sinless. That doesn't mean that she is omniscient or understands everything. And so she's coming to understand more and more and more what the angel, what the, the words that the angel spoke to her are starting to become more and more clear by uh, uh, what's happening. So Our Lady is in some ways what she does is she takes all these things into her heart and ponders them, which is the way that you and I must read Scripture. We must read Scripture in a way that there is an inner understanding that is pondered with the heart. 
uh, it's a way that uh, an unbeliever can't access. Uh, you can't access the inner meaning of, of, of Scripture without being committed to our Lord and having the purity of heart and the spiritual vision that, that uh, our Lord only can give. So, what is the inner meaning of, 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 of this episode? And what must Our Lady have stored in her heart? What must she have taken from this? I think, and this links into why it's a Eucharistic feast, Our, Our Lady understands that Our Lord is the High Priest. He is the priest in the temple. He was born a priest. Nobody's born a priest. But our Lord Jesus Christ was born a priest. Not born a priest only, but in the first moment of his conception, by the Holy Ghost in the womb of, of Our Lady, he was the high priest. Uh, the dialogue that takes place according to the Epistle to the Hebrews is the dialogue from Psalm uh, 39, which is, uh, 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 Lo, I come, he's speaking to the Father, and the volume of the book, it is written of me, in the Old Testament, the Scriptures, that I should fulfill thy law, O Lord. Uh, uh, a body hast thou given me. A body hast thou given me. That's the Greek uh, uh, version of Psalm 39, which the Epistle to the Hebrews uh, quotes, uh, a body hast thou given me. So at the moment of his conception, he receives physical existence, and from the very moment that that occurs, he is now the priest, the intercessor, the mediator between God and man, God and man himself. The high priest belongs in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And so our Lord uh, is drawn to the temple because that's where he will be for all eternity. That's where he is now interceding for us in the Holy of Holies. It's his very essence is to be a priest. Uh, and it's interesting, some of the language that, that goes on here the gospel says that they sought him among his kinfolk and his acquaintances, but they could not find him there. In the Old Testament, of course, there was a chosen people. There was one race, one nation that our Lord, that uh, uh, he chose to be the bearers of his, of his revelation to be the people that would bring forth the Savior of the world, okay? But that uh, vocation of Israel was supposed to open to all nations. And of course it did. None of us would be here uh, uh, unless that happened, presuming all of us are Gentiles here. I think we're all Gentiles. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, um, Jesus is no longer to be found among his kinsfolk, among the people of his own blood, of his own nation, of his own family. Jesus is not to be found there. 
As wonderful as Jerusalem is, as wonderful as the Holy Land is, it's a wonderful place to go uh, uh, to for uh, a pilgrimage. I've never been, I would love to go. But Jesus is not found in Jerusalem as Jerusalem. Christianity does not have a holy city the same way that Judaism has, uh, uh, or uh, Islam came to, to, um, uh, to embody. Uh, we don't have a city like that. And in fact, in the early church, uh, Jerusalem was not terribly important. Uh, it took several centuries for Jerusalem, uh, the bishop of Jerusalem, even to become a bishop of much consequence at all. The important place was Rome and Alexandria and Antioch, because those were the sees of, of the, the Apostle Peter. But there is zero sort of interest in, in okay, Jerusalem, people sometimes think Jerusalem should be uh, the top uh, bishop because that's where our Lord was. That's not how the church thinks. Our Lord is the savior of all nations and Rome is the capital. Rome is code. <laughs> when you read Rome, it's code for the whole world, the whole world. So our Lord, uh, uh, when he goes into the temple, the temple which is meant to be the house of prayer for all peoples, remember when he cleanses the temple, the house of prayer for our pe all peoples, he disappears from his kinsfolk, from his own people. And there's something odd about that, too. It's almost like a resurrection. Uh, 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 his resurrected uh, presence often sort of disappears and reappears. <laughs> it's funny that way. Um, um, our Lord is... is Sometimes when, when people see him after the resurrection, they don't know who he is. I mean, Mary Magdalene thinks he's the gardener. Um, the disciples on the road to Emmaus think he's just sort of some guy who blew into town. You know, they don't see him. But what happens when the, uh, the disciples uh, uh, on the road to Emmaus, what happens when they recognize him? It's only when they sat down at table and our Lord breaks bread, celebrates the Eucharist, gives himself and his body and blood, and then they recognize him. But then what happens? Immediately, he disappears. <laughs> he disappears from their sight. Um, so there's this kind of aspect of our Lord uh, uh, that he's, he can't be sort of um, nailed down anywhere. He's, he's, he's everywhere uh, in some ways. But the point is, he's not among his kinfolks and, uh, kinfolk and acquaintances. He is in his temple. St. John Chrysostom, in a, in a, in a sermon, uh, he often chides his, his people, um, <laughs> probably in a way that would get him in trouble today. Well, he did get in trouble for that. That's why he died in exile. Um, <laughs> but there's a sermon in which he says, he says, you lot... You know, you probably think, oh, if only I could have seen Jesus when he was on earth. Oh, how wonderful it would have been to be walking with him and to be one of his disciples and to see him and to touch him. And, and St. John Chrysostom says, what are you talking about? He's here. 
He's here. And if you were back then, you couldn't receive his body and blood. Now you can receive his body and blood. You can become him and he becomes you. There's no, nothing more intimate than that. So what would it benefit you to be, to have been in Palestine in the first century and to have seen him? Christ says, blessed are those who have, have, have not seen but have, have believed. So this episode of, of the, the, the loss, the disappearance, and the finding of Jesus in the temple is really about the church and about the sacraments and about the blessed sacrament. The physical uh, uh, appearance of Christ has disappeared from the world with the ascension. He ascends to his father as the high priest and he disappears beyond the veil. We don't see him as, as I see Dom Hildebrand or I see Brother Isaias. It's just, St. Paul says, if we have known him according to the flesh, we now know him that way no longer. It says, indeed, we know no man after the flesh. Uh, the, the point of view of the Christian is entirely heavenly. But our Lord is not to be sought in any physical place except in the tabernacle, in the sacrament of his love, in his temple. That's where our Lord is to be found. And so the finding of our Lord, uh, the child Jesus in the temple, is, is really a wonderful Eucharistic feast. And, and it, it once again reorients our hearts and our minds to where is the presence of Christ in the world. Christ has not abandoned the world. We don't see him. But we are more blessed than the disciples themselves because we see him through faith. And we can look at the veil of the, the outward form of bread and wine, and yet faith penetrates through the veil and sees the face of Christ. Uh, this is a wonderful uh, gift that we've been given. It's expedient for you, said Christ, that I disappear, that I go away with the Father. It's a good thing, because we feed now on Christ uh, uh, in the Blessed Sacrament and in the faith of our hearts uh, as a preparation for seeing him not as he appeared in Palestine, as, as he appeared to the disciples and, and to those who, who opposed him and those who crucified him. Uh, we will see him in his full glory, in the full vision of the beatific vision in heaven. But the preparation for that is faith. Without faith, we won't be fit to see him. And so when we go to the altar today, uh, rejoice that we have found Christ. Uh, uh, and rejoice that not only have we found him, but that he comes to dwell in us, uh, that we become him, and he becomes us. That's what the Eucharist means. That we are, are uh, 
so intimately united with, with Christ. And so with the faith of Our Lady's heart, uh, as, as much as we can, can in, our, in, our, uh, in our lives, let's uh, approach the altar with faith in the fear of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.